Then, congregation, if you would take your Bibles this morning and turn to a section found in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. In your pew Bible, you can find that on page 1,124. Uh, We read and also consider this morning a passage of the Word of God from Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. And hear now together the reading of the Word of God. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Jesus is speaking, and now the words of our text, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And thus far this morning, our reading from the Word of God. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, including you also, boys and girls, the children of the congregation, all of us know what it is to be tired Maybe it's just after a long day of play, or maybe after a long day of work. Uh, Maybe it's when we're not feeling so well, perhaps sick, or after a long journey. Maybe it's just simply the symptoms of our age. But we all know what it is to be tired. Maybe we even express it by saying, all I want to do is sit down. All I want to do is lay down. All I want is a little rest. This is true for many of us physically, but it's also true for many of God's people spiritually. The author of the Hebrews speaks about the hands that hang down and the knees that grow feeble. And it's a figurative picture of what can often be characterized as the difficulties of the Christian life, uh, the tiring toilsome nature of the day-in and day-out Christian life. And that, of course, is one of the reasons why God in His infinite wisdom has set aside one day in seven as a day of rest, a day for physical rest from our earthly labors, but also a day for spiritual rest underneath the means of grace. And so we gather, yes, in obedience, but we gather also with a holy anticipation that our souls would be refreshed and that our spirits would be nourished underneath the Word and underneath the sacrament. And perhaps you gather yourself personally this morning especially weary because of the circumstances of your life. Perhaps it is the weariness that comes from loneliness. Perhaps it is the weariness that comes from recent loss of loved ones through death. Perhaps it is the weariness of uh, the unrelenting difficulties, trials, afflictions, hardships of your providences in your own personal life. Whatever your circumstances may be this morning, it is my privilege to bring to you the Word of God, especially this great invitation that our Lord Jesus Christ extends. He says, come to me, All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And consider that with me 
briefly this morning underneath this theme, an invitation to spiritual rest, noticing, first of all, the persons of the invitation, and then secondly, the call in the invitation, and then thirdly, the promise in the invitation. So in these words of Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, our Lord Jesus Christ extends an invitation to spiritual rest. We'll notice the persons, the call, and the promise. The persons of the invitation. We know what invitations are. Uh, we receive them perhaps at the times of graduations or perhaps at the times of weddings. An invitation is sent from one person to another person. Notice that this invitation comes forth from Jesus Christ Himself. And in this passage, in these verses especially, Jesus Christ reveals something of His person and something also of His position. He reveals something of His person as the Son of God, but also the incarnate mediator. And in my sub-points, if you follow along, you'll notice that I've put over the first person of this invitation, the gentle Savior. And we've done that purposefully, of course. The text continues as Jesus uh, grants this self-revelation. Notice in verse 29, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And we do well, congregation, we do well to be reminded and to be informed and to be instructed in who Jesus Christ is, especially in what I'm going to call the pathos of His person. That is that He has a feeling of sympathy, a feeling even of sorrow. And how all of this is experienced in His one person with His two natures, divine nature, human nature, united together, is a profound mystery. But something of this mystery is revealed in Scripture. You can think of Jesus Christ when He looked upon Jerusalem and wept and said, "Oh Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you together.'" You can think of this same Jesus uh, as he so patiently dealt with the unbelief of his own disciples. You can think of the same Jesus as he stopped repeatedly uh, on the journeys of his earthly ministry for the lepers, for the blind, for the lame, for the outcasts of societies, for those whom the religious leaders had no time. You can think of this Jesus and of his compassionate heart when the disciples in their pretended importance said to the parents of small children, keep your children away. But Jesus rebuked the disciples and said, let the little children come unto me. And so it is my hope and my prayer that all who hear these words this morning or whenever you might hear them would never doubt the heart of the Savior. For He clearly reveals it in our text. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And it is because of this gentleness and because of this lowliness of heart that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He came to lay down His life in the accomplishment of redemption. And Matthew 11, verse 28, 29, and 30, in many ways, looks back to a prophecy that was given through Zechariah. In Zechariah 9, verse 9, there is this prophecy, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! 
Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now we know because this prophecy is fulfilled with the triumphant entry of the Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. But we know that this prophecy is pointing forward to Jesus Christ as the one who is lowly, the one who is having salvation, the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But notice that exhortation that Zechariah gives, rejoice. And you might ask yourself, what reason do I have to rejoice this morning? You might say, spiritually, my hands are hanging low and my knees are feeble. And the circumstances in my life don't appear to be the most favorable circumstances. There are difficulties and there are trials, sorrows, disappointments, concerns, and troubles. Nevertheless, rejoice in this. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He has a compassionate heart towards His people. And so he extends this invitation, especially to the struggling soul. Just notice, once again, there's a wonderful combination of a comprehensive extent to this invitation, but also a very focused extent. Come to me, and then just pause momentarily at that little word, all. Come to me, all. The gospel call goes forth to the ends of the world indiscriminately. Jesus Christ says to every single person who hears the preaching of the gospel, repent and believe. And the promise is this, that every single person who does repent of their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall certainly be saved. And that's the comprehensive scope. But notice also that it is particularly addressed to those who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And that's why I've given this the the title, The Struggling Soul. It has a special focus upon the person who is experiencing a spiritual fear, a spiritual anxiety. Maybe even, we might say, a spiritual despair as a result of the simple everyday burdens of life. Verse 28's labor. It's a rather broad term, all you who labor. It just simply describes the toil that characterizes life under the sun as a consequence of the effect of the fall. Confronting the the toils and the thorns and the thistles of life in a fallen world. And we do well, I believe at least, we do well to reckon with the fact that we do labor. That life is not always a pie-in-the-sky type of an experience. Now I know that there are those who fill their auditoriums and sell their books by proclaiming that you have your best life now, but Personally, I don't believe it's biblical nor realistic. I don't believe that such persons ever really wrestle with the heartaches that fill the pews of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus understands. And he says, come to me, you who labor. 
But also notice, you who labor and are heavy laden. And that heavy laden, that describes the being crushed under the weight of a legalistic command. This describes the crushing weight that the Pharisees, with their moralism and with their legalism, that they laid upon the common everyday person. This is the anguishing toil of works righteousness. This is the soul that has, perhaps through its own misunderstanding, or perhaps through an unbiblical upbringing, believes that if they can only do a little bit more, then they shall attain peace. If only they can feel a little bit more, then they will attain righteousness. If only they can keep the law, if only they can fulfill all of the religious expectations, if only they can be what they're supposed to be and do what they're supposed to do, then they will have peace with God. And our Lord Jesus Christ has a special eye for such persons, and He says, not keep on keeping on, not yes, try a little bit harder, see if you can attain the next measure of spiritual ideals. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And to a certain extent, that describes all of us. All of us, to a certain extent, in this past week, have labored in life. And all of us, if we're honest, know something of that dangerous temptation perhaps even more dangerous during self-examination, to think, if only I can do a little bit more, if only I can be a little bit better. And to you then this morning, this invitation is extended. And notice that there is a call in our second point, a call to faith. The word there in verse 28, come, it is a command. It is an imperative. It's not just simply some begging, pleading, imploring. It is an authoritative statement of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but it is given, yes, in an authoritative tone, but also in a most winsome tone, in a most welcoming tone. And the word come indicates a adherence an adherence not just to a particular teaching but to a person and here i believe there is a danger that we all ought to be well aware of for example when we come to the table of the lord we do not come thereby to testify that we have perfect faith But nor do we come just acknowledging that we have some intellectual cognitive recognition of what Jesus Christ has done. Yes, there is that, but we come. We come to the person of Jesus Christ. Our salvation is not simply based upon intellectual data, but in receiving a person 
in receiving the work of a person and the benefits of a person and the blessings of a person. That's why we begin our services uh, with the blessing and we conclude our services with the blessing. Grace, mercy, and peace be granted unto you from, from God the Father and the Son Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Not grace, mercy, and peace granted unto you because you can score a 95% on a Reformed theology exam. Not grace, mercy, and peace be granted unto you because you can trace your lineage back into the halls of Reformed orthodoxy. Those are certainly blessings of being in the covenant community, but grace, mercy, and peace be granted unto you from God the Father, from Jesus Christ the Son, from the Holy Spirit. And perhaps we do well to examine ourselves even this morning, and even as we receive the elements of the Lord's Supper, even as we hold that bread that, of course, is just bread, sanctified for a holy purpose, representing the person of Jesus Christ. And as we handle the element of the wine, that remains, yes, just wine, sanctified for a holy purpose, to signify and seal unto us the person, the blood of Jesus Christ. And is that not why we are reminded also not to cling unto these mere external elements, but to lift our hearts up into heaven at the right hand of God the Father, where the person of Jesus Christ is? Jesus has come to me. And I want to emphasize that again this morning for our own encouragement. Come Come to Jesus Christ. Now, we certainly, we certainly value the church of Jesus Christ as the bride of Jesus Christ. But it's not mere intellectual orthodoxy. And it's not even being within the walls of this sanctuary auditorium, whatever you want to refer to it as. Salvation is not found in institutions. Salvation is not found in intellectual data. Salvation is found in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Come to me, the one and the only mediator. And so it is a call to dedication. Take my yoke upon you. Verse 29, well, you might say, well, this seems to take away that which was given. You just talked about how this was a word to those who are spiritually struggling with some type of perhaps even works righteousness, and now you mention a yoke. Uh, a yoke would have been a very familiar term, a very familiar implement, you might say, or instrument, a harness, usually oxen, for the pulling of a load, for the carrying of a load. But Jesus is setting this up as a parable of illustration, and he says, my yoke, that is, the yoke of my discipleship, is easy. And it's light. True Christianity, and 
perhaps I say this word especially for the young people in this congregation. True Christianity is not an oppressive religion. The other religions of this world are extremely oppressive. With their nearly exhaustive list of do's and don'ts, of works righteousness, but true Christianity, rightly understood, is not oppressive. The Apostle John himself says in 1 John 5, verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. I'm amazed sometimes when you read through organizations, rules, and regulations. I had the uh, opportunity recently to go to the Marion County Courthouse, not for any lawsuits or any type of civil infraction, but just simply to renew license plates. And while I was waiting for my number to come up on the screen, I noticed the CDL handbook, a rather thick book. I thought to myself, to pass the time, maybe I'd take it and read through it. I got about a page and a half in, and I thought, this is too much. The pre-trip inspection. Now, I don't know what percentage of drivers actually go through all of those steps of pre-trip inspection, but line upon line, precept upon precept, and to think our Lord gave us Ten Commandments. Christianity is not oppressive. It is the most liberating and the most freeing and the most fulfilling life. And Jesus Christ, to motivate our response to his invitation, also attaches a promise. And you find this all throughout Scripture. When a command is given, a promise is also given. And that promise is to motivate the fulfillment of the command. And so in our third point, notice the promise, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's repeated in verse 29, you will find rest for your souls. Notice that it's you will. It's not you may. Now we're very, very thankful also, personally, I'm very, very thankful for the medical community and the gifts that, the God, that our God has given the medical community. Uh, but even the medical community, with all of their gifts, all of their talents, all of their advancements, uh, when you undergo treatment for a disease, the doctors never give you a 100% guarantee that it will work. They always say, yes. The odds, as they speak, are good for a full recovery, but nevertheless, there are these potential complications. Jesus doesn't say, come to me, and 85% of the time you will find rest. But there is a 15% chance that your condition will actually become worse. No, he says you will find rest. And he says you will find rest because he says, I will give you rest. It's contingent only upon the person of Jesus Christ, who, yes, is the Son of Man, but is also the Son of God. And this I will give emphasize the grace and the mercy, the freeness of this rest. And this rest 
It's not, boys and girls, like Jesus says, come to me and you can take a nap and you can wake up physically more refreshed, but it's a rest for one's soul. It's a rest in the reality of the experience of reconciliation with God. It is the rest that comes from knowing that I am right with God, based not on anything I have done, not based on anything that I'm going to do, but based simply and exclusively upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in His free grace and in His mercy. And how sweet that word sounds, rest. I won't identify names, but I had the opportunity this week to visit an elderly person. And as I arrived for the visit, they were going through the exercise uh, of, of simply walking down a hallway. And you could tell that they were exercising themselves to the fullest of their potential. And they said to the caregiver, after that, I need a nap. And spiritually speaking, maybe some of you feel just that way this morning. Well, here is the wonderful words of encouragement from Jesus Christ. I will give you rest. So lay down any remains of works righteousness. Lay down any doubts and fears. Lay them at the foot of the cross. And just simply say, here I am, Lord. I heard you call this morning through the word. I heard you say out of a compassionate heart, come to me. And so here I am. I am weary. I'm heavy laden. I'm tired, Lord. But I'm here because you said you would give me rest. You can think of Isaiah 40, verse 30 and 31. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so the call comes from Jesus Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And the promise of the gospel proclaimed verbally and now also represented sacramentally is I will give you rest. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, you know our souls. You know our need. You know us even better than we know ourselves. And so we ask that you administer to us by your word and by your spirit, and especially for hungry and thirsty souls this morning, we pray that you would feed us, that you would revive us, that you would restore us that you would cause us to soar even like the eagles, and that you would cause us in due time to run and not be weary, and to walk and not be faint. 
And so may our eyes be fixed upon the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose blessed name we pray. Amen.